You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Amen. Good morning, church. So glad to have you here today. And uh, can we give a round of applause to the band and them leading us today? Um, Good morning to you and welcome to this day of worship. Today we are especially thankful and especially worshipful. As we as a church today set up up another stone of remembrance in worship and in thankfulness, and in remembrance, and in symbolism of the Lord's great work over the past four years in the life of our church. Can we give God a round of applause? (laughs) Psalm 107, 1 through 2 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And so today we say so, right? And today we give thanks to the Lord for he indeed is good. The fact that we're standing here today looking at lives that have been forever changed is a blessing beyond measure. Leaders that have been raised up, salvations that have been secured, Children and students that will be forever different because of being here and hearing the gospel for their entire lives. A gospel culture that has been created and established in our community, a community at large. The gospel culture, families that have spiritual leaders, a church that has spiritual leaders that they can look to for help and and for hope, growth in our understanding of God, in his redemptive plan, in his his training training us in his word on a a weekly basis, basis. Discipleship that has occurred and is currently occurring in the life of our church. Churches that have been planted, missionaries that have been sent, ministers that have been trained, worship that has been established in our hearts, love and friendship and community that has come about, evangelism that people have been equipped for, ministers that have started um, and been trained here, ministries that have started inside and outside of these walls, the sanctification that has taken place in the hearts of our people through trial, through suffering, through triumph, and through victory. Growth in the pastoral and support staff personally. Obedience as a result of faith for a lot of people in a variety of different areas. A holy people that is set apart for Christ being built up by Christ while at the same time beckoning a lost world to come and join is nothing less 
than a testimony to God's unmerited favor upon our church. It's a testimony of grace, of God's grace, a testimony of him being trustworthy. He's trustworthy. That's what he's yelling today. A testimony of him keeping his promises uh, to glorify himself. A testimony to his sovereign hand, his power, his activity. Do you know, church, that the promises that he has fulfilled for us who are in Christ and his church, we are in direct line to his promises through Abraham and, and to David and to Moses and now being fulfilled in the new covenant. We are part of his plan and the fulfillment of his promises. We praise the Lord today. We praise God. This is why we don't want today to be about anything other than magnifying Christ. Magnifying the Lord. Not like a, a microscope would make something bigger than it really is, but like a telescope would allow us to see the intricacies and the beauties of what, who God is and what God is doing. You know, I remember God's call to plant this church really like it was yesterday. And I was talking to Chad about it, and it, and it, it just it seems, it, it seems so crazy that we're four years in. I remember a year or, or so about follow, uh, of following his calling by faith in scary and uncertain times. Listen, you got to know along the way, this felt reckless. Like we're going to hurt ourselves and we're going to hurt everybody around us, right? Like well, how are our families going to survive? What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? We don't really know anybody, right? But I, we know God's calling us. I, I remember raising support to get our families here, to get this church started. I remember the early evangelistic efforts that took place to reach people. I remember uh, every step that required really what seems to be and seemed to be reckless faith, right? Like this is just reckless. This doesn't make any, any sense. I, I remember the people that God continued to bring into our path and into our doors. I remember the long nights of toiling and striving and talking and praying, even in, in light of recently developing organizational structures. I mean, I remember every step of the way. I remember all the prayers night and days, all the hurts, all of the disappointments. I remember all of the sin and the growth that needed to happen to myself, in myself, personally, right? As God made me a more faithful and is making me a more faithful pastor. Uh, because, you know, he works deeply on the missionary along the journey of, of the mission, right? He needs to work on the minister during the time of, of the mission, right? And, and so I remember all these things. And, and I remember that, you know, things that I didn't even know I needed to change in until God presses you up against a wall when, he's, when you're following him by faith. I remember the testimonies and their surpassing faithfulness. I remember all the days of triumph in the mission. And listen, church, listen, we sit here today not rejoicing in a crowd side. Not rejoicing in a multiple services, not rejoicing in a building size, not rejoicing in the success as the world would define success. I want to make that very clear. We are today rejoicing in the fact that over the past four years, we have tangibly watched the supernatural work of God made visible to us. 
He has done supernatural work that only he can do, and we have watched it. That is incredible. By God's sovereign hand, for his glory and our eternal joy, God has done work. You know, all of this, I can say with a full heart, and I hope that you see a testimony that encourages your own life. I can say with a full and honest heart that, listen, the call is the cost of the call is incomparable. The cost of the call to follow the call is incomparable to the joy of witnessing and experiencing the eternal results brought by the hand of God. Listen, the cost of the call is incomparable to the joy of witnessing and experiencing the eternal results brought about by God's hand. And that's true of your salvation. And that's true of what God calls you to in being his ministers of the gospel. The cost of the call of salvation is incomparable. It doesn't measure up to the joy that is experienced and the eternal results of knowing, being known by, and making known God, his sovereign hand, the cost of the call, church, in the ministry. It's incomparable to the joy of witnessing and experiencing the eternal, the eternal results brought about by God's hand. That's what we can say, for sure, 100%. And that just so happens to be what God's sovereign plan was for our church and the main point of our passage today. We're gonna see that the cost of the call Listen, this is, the, this is the point. This is amazing that God's, by God's sovereign hand, this is what he would give us today. The, the, the cost of the call is incomparable to the joy of witnessing and experiencing the eternal results brought about by God's hand. This is what the disciples are gonna show us today. So if you have your Bible, I hope you do, as we open the, the sacred scriptures, you can open them now to Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. That's where we are today. And listen, I've titled this message, Rejoicing in the Work of God Through the Disciples' Ministry. That's what we're seeing today. Rejoicing in the work of God through the disciples' ministry. The disciples are coming back rejoicing because of what God has done through their ministry. (laughs) And guess what God planned as we just taught through the Bible for us to end up on today? Right? Like, this is incredible. Church, I've given the message this title because that's the main point of the passage. In our passage, we're going to see the disciples, you ready for this? Joy. Joy. That's what we're seeing today. They're rejoicing in the Lord's work through their ministry. Now catch this. Remember, if you've been with us, they've been called. They've embraced the cost. They brought nothing They were sent like lambs among wolves. They had to labor for the harvest. They had to trust God with his provisions. They couldn't guarantee that people would respond. They had to trust God fully for the preparation of the hearts. 
They were called not to secure their lives, their accommodations for themselves, but to proclaim the gospel message. And they had a polarizing message full of judgment for those who would reject the Christ, right? And little did they know that when they returned, the experience would be joy. They didn't know. How are they supposed to know? It sounds like this is going to be an experience of, of nothing, everything other than joy. But this is what they experienced. This would be their experience, listen, in believing and in following and in trusting and in proclaiming Christ. This would be their, their experience. At the return of their gathering, gathering and the gathering of these disciples, listen, they're returning, they're regathering, and they're reporting back to Jesus from being sent. And there was only one response that we see here. Joy. Joy. Incomparable. They, too, have realized that the cost of the call is incomparable to the joy of witnessing and experiencing the eternal results brought about by the hand of God. They would realize the joy of intimacy with the master. They they would realize the joy of trusting him. They would realize the joy of watching him provide. They would realize the joy of his supernatural work. They would realize the joy of his words actually coming true. (laughs) They would realize the joy of witnessing eternal results before their eyes. They They would experience the joy of the defeat of the evil one. They would experience the joy of rejection while being faithful. They would realize the joy of being his representatives with his authority, the joy of knowing that there is more ahead. Listen, they now will experience the joy. Wow. And this is going to be the task for the rest of our lives. This is joy incomparable. And this passage, listen, when we read it, this is meant to glorify Christ. This is not meant to glorify the disciples. How? How does it do that? Why? Why does it work like that? Well, it shows Jesus to be the one who's trustworthy. He sent them. He told what was going to happen, and it worked. It happened. Right? This is showing him to be trustworthy. He's the one that the message is about, and he's true. He's showing, this is showing him as the one who sent them out with specific instructions regarding provisions, preparation, proclamation, and judgment. And this is now showing he's trustworthy. It's true. He's full of wisdom. He's satisfying as a testimony of their returning shows us. This testimony shows us this. This makes Jesus's set-apartness, right, his holiness, visible for us to see and witness. No one else can do what he just did. That's what he said would happen. He's trustworthy. This works. People are saved and changed. This is true. What he said was effective and right. His power, even working from afar, happened. He accomplished his work. This is the rejoicing of the disciples. It's not meant to glorify the disciples. It's meant to glorify the work of Christ. 
Because he's the one who sent them. He's the one who instructed them. He's the one who told them that this would work. And they're returning with joy because it did. He's true. His mission is true. His word is true. Just like our rejoicing today, church, is meant to glorify Christ. Listen, you got to get this. Along the, along the way, there, ha, there have been many tactics that have presented themselves to us. Do more of this. Do it this way. Don't follow them fully that way. Have your own wisdom. This way won't work. Preaching through the Bible? Discipleship in this way? Long, longer services than, is, than are culturally accepted? You're not going to grow a church like that. Right? Well, that's not what Jesus says. We trust his ways. We don't trust pragmatism. We want to stretch you. We don't want you to be comfortable where you are. We want to teach you how to listen to God's word. It won't be for everyone. But for those who are truly his, man, they're going to grow. We are celebrating today that God's way works. It works. If you'll trust his word, if you'll do what he says, if you'll do the way he said it, it will work. This is a testimony to him. His ways will really accomplish salvation if you'll stick to him. His word really will change hearts if you stick to it. He really, really will grow people. He's true. His ways are true. His gospel is true. That's what we testify to today. His truth works. It's right. And let that inform us, church, as to how we will operate for the next four years. We witness joy today incomparable, and they've embraced the call, and yet there's more. I want you to notice something. You might notice that under the title, I, I put part one. Well, that's because there's going to be a part. Yes, good job. That is because today we are mainly seeing the disciples' joy, although we are going to get a glimpse of something else, and the next week is going to be even more full of something else. Today, we're going to cover verses 17 through 20. And this is unique. Let me stop here for just a moment, okay? This really is unique. And seeing the disciples' joy. Listen, stay with me. We're going to see the disciples' joy. This really is unique. Seeing what we haven't seen yet, which is the disciples' joy. And you will not see this again to this extent. In fact, we won't really see this type of information again until the book of Acts when the apostles rejoice in being counted worthy to suffer for his name. You remember this? Look at it. It's on the screen. Acts chapter 5, verses 41 through 42. Then they left the presence of the council because they were told not to teach and preach anymore. And they left rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. That's another picture of them rejoicing. And every day... In the temple, after they were told not to do it, they went from house to house and did not cease from teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. I love that, right? So we see a very unique passage today. Listen, the disciples' joy. Why? Why is it unique? Well, listen, they're on earth right now. There's evil. There's sin. This is a serious task. Most of what you see from the disciples and Jesus right now is intensity. Like you say, man, this is intense. Right? Well, that's because there's something big going on right now. Jesus is dying on the, on the cross soon for sins of people who will spend eternity apart from him if they don't believe in him. This is serious. Right? Doesn't mean that he doesn't have joy. 
But next week, listen, we're going to look at the verses 21 through 24 in light of the entire, entire passage. And we're going to see next week Jesus's joy. So we see a unique picture of the disciples' joy. And then next week, we're going to see Jesus's joy. And what is he joyful in? Listen, he is joyful in the work of God through his disciples' ministry. He's rejoicing over what is happening through their ministry. He's glad. He's happy for them. And this is the only time that we will see this. If you remember last week, Pastor Tanner, he said this. He said Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29 is a, very, uh, is, is a very unique passage because it shows us uh, maybe the only time that Jesus explicitly uh, talks about his own heart. He says things like compassion and things of that. But here's how he describes his own heart. In Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 29, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Here it is. Ready? He's describing his heart. Here's who Jesus is. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's one of the only times he describes his heart. But can I tell you something? Luke chapter 10, the verse, the passage that we are in and that we will be in next week, is the only time that we will see Jesus's joy. This passage is special and unique. This is the explicit view of the joy of Christ on earth. So this passage is special. It's unique. And today, once again, we see the disciples' joy as they embrace the cost of following him. They're returning, they're reporting, they're rejoicing. And they are rejoicing in this ministry. They are worshipful. And I can't help but think before we read, especially on a day like this, Church, listen, listen close. This should inform your joy as a disciple of Jesus Christ. This should show you and teach you what you should be most joyful over. This should show you that the cost is incomparable to witnessing, to the joy of witnessing God's hand in your life if you'll follow him. It should show you what we should be joyful over today as we celebrate our ministry. It should inform your joy in showing you this. It should show you what Jesus rejoices over. Like, do you want to see that? I do. I want to see what Jesus rejoices over. I want a heart like his. It should also show you that the great joy that you should experience and that you will experience if you, if, if you follow him on mission. Like, this is what the evidence is showing. Listen, the disciples are returning. They had to trust him. Joy incomparable when they return. Disciple of Christ, if you will follow him in obedience, you will experience the same. It's worth it. Right? This is what it should do. It should motivate us by giving us a glimpse into the worthiness of the mission and the Messiah. It should show the trustworthiness of Jesus. He brings about his promises. He fulfills them. He's faithful. It's worth it. So this is what we will see. This is what we're going to look at. Before we dive in, pray, read. Not to take us off course, but before we read, last week we implemented something new in our church, and I'm just happy about it. And that's the TFC Family Monthly Memory Verse. One that we can all memorize, know at the same time, be memorizing together across the life of our church. Everybody, same time. One every month. That means after a year, how many will we have? All right. Good. Right? Twelve. Just twelve a year. But we want to be memorizing God's word together. 
At every moment, you know the rest of the body of Christ is memorizing this together. So it's going to be up on the screen, but you should have been memorizing it this week. Right? Okay. Can you say it? Ready? Here's September's. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Say it one more time. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Keep memorizing that, church. Let's pray. Let's dive into the text. Father, we come before you. Show us your word. Show us your glory. Help us to see and to savor that we might show and share how great you are. Let our joy be a testimony to your trustworthiness. I pray, God, that you would do a mighty work in us and through us. We need it. Do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read Luke chapter 10. Verses 17 through 24, Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then, turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Wow. Well, so far, this has been a journey for Christ and his disciples. He is teaching them about true discipleship, as they make their way towards Jerusalem. There has been instruction. There has been failure already. Remember this? Them not trusting his words. There have been harsh words about what the mission will require. No comfort, no priorities, no provisions. Instead, take up your cross, give up your life, give up your desires, give up your future, and follow me right? Which is very important for us to take heed to. Why? Well, it's important because that's not at all what we see as defined in our culture of true discipleship, right? Our culture calls themselves Christian, but they reveal a level of devotion that doesn't match up with Jesus's words of devotion for true disciples, right? And so we should take heed. But then we come to this special passage, this unique kind of passage. And listen, this is invigorating. This is refreshing, It resets us. Luke has given us this passage at the perfect time. 
to motivate us to go on. And Luke is showing us something very special, so unique. We haven't had the privilege of encountering yet. And that's the disciples' joy and the Savior's joy. This is a display of the disciples' joy. Listen, the display of Jesus' joy in them, listen, is what we're going to see. He loves them. Do you know this? He loves these guys. He's proud of them. He's investing in them. He's doing work through them. He's so happy for them. They've made it. They've believed. He's seeing their growth. He's watching the establishment of their faith. They've become firm. They're getting it. They're starting to lock in. They understand now. They're committed. They're seeing it. And Jesus is showing them the the work that he will do through them, and they're joyful about it. He knew the eternal results. And the disciples' joy here in returning is unparalleled. So Luke gives us a window into this joy today surrounding the the disciples rejoicing. We're going to see Jesus rejoicing with them as well. We're going to see today two reasons for their rejoicing. Two reasons for rejoicing. That's what the passage shows us. A glimpse into the rejoicing of the disciples and Jesus. That's what we're getting. A glimpse into the disciples rejoicing and Jesus is rejoicing. The reasons for rejoicing, there are two of them, and they center around, listen, two things. Ready? This rejoicing will center around two things. It will center around their ministry. They would be joyful because of their ministry. And it will center around their salvation. They will be joyful because of their salvation. Right? So it will center around two things, their ministry and salvation. The first, number one, they are rejoicing first over their ministry. The first thing that we see in our passage is that they are rejoicing over their ministry. The power, listen, the authority, the protection, the defeat of Satan and his demons. This is what they're rejoicing over. The power, the authority, the protection to defeat Satan and to defeat his demons. Read it with me, verses 17 through 19. Keep your eyes on the text when you're following along because this is where we're getting all this information from, okay? The, The Bible, verses 17 through 19. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Now, this is their ministry they're rejoicing over. This is the reason for the rejoicing and they should be. Listen, Jesus' power, his authority, his protection, his provision through them. This is what's happened on the journey. This is what he's given them. This is what he's done through them and they realize it. This is what's going on. They realize what is going on, right? They realize it. They understand it. And listen, you should rejoice in the same. Today, we're celebrating that we've experienced the same thing. This is informing us of reasons for rejoicing. Verse 17, ready? Follow along. The 72 returned. There's no specific or specified amount of time, so we don't know how long this took for them to learn this, right? You don't, we don't know how long it took for them to learn this joy of obedience, They come back, but that's good because we don't know. Sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes it's a shorter amount of time of the joy that's experienced when you are getting it and you realize his trustworthiness. 
No specified amount of time, so we don't know how long it took. But look, as it goes on, the 72 returned. So we don't know how long, but they returned to Jesus. And they return with something. What do they return with? What do they return with? What? Joy. They return with joy. Listen, they return with something. They went out with nothing. And they return with something. What do they return with? Well, they didn't return with provisions. They didn't, doesn't tell us that they returned with secured accommodations. Doesn't tell us that they returned with everyone accepting them. It doesn't tell us that they returned with, with riches or with ease. Doesn't tell us that they returned with with physical uh, rest. But it tells us they did return, return with something. And what they return with? They returned with joy. That's what a disciple of Jesus Christ will return with. Joy. Even if everything else lacks. They're gathering back, all 72 of them, and they're giddy. I want you to see this picture. They're giddy. The faithfulness, the successful of the achievement of their ministry. They experienced it. He made both the disciples and it made Jesus full of great joy. Listen, I want you to get this. They obeyed. They trusted. They went. They followed. They are truly his disciples and they have joy. Do you remember the call of them in in Luke 9, 23 through 24? This is directly correlated. Listen, this was the call. I want you to see this. He said to to all, if anyone would come after me, this is how they should follow him. Ready? Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's the call. And what do they return with? You would think that it's anything but joy. And what do they return with? Joy. This is what they return. This is what he's showing us. The cost of the call is incomparable to the joy that is experienced through the work of God's sovereign hand in in our ministry. It's incomparable. This is what they're called to. They've been called to the particular mission. And now in Luke chapter 10, the disciples come back and they're returning with joy and they're happy about something. They're worshiping about something. They're nudging each other. Picture this. They're joyful. Can you imagine 70 men coming back? right? 70 disciples coming back. And they're all like this huge group nudging each other. They're chatting. There's different discussions happening everywhere. And it's just this commotion. And Jesus is right there in the center and he's watching this. And they're amazed and they're chatting and they're discussing. And Jesus is seeing this and they're rejoicing over Jesus's work through them. He's, they're, they're experiencing now. God's really done this. He's confirmed it. We've seen it tangibly. This is worship that is taking place. Jesus, as their leader, he knew this. He knew who he was and what he was training them up to be. And he's watching them become giddy. He's watching them become worshipful because of what they're experiencing in their ministry. Listen, this is awesome. This is awesome. This is beyond belief. This should should cause awe in you, believer. This is better than they could have ever experienced. This is more privilege, more power than they ever thought could happen. To do meaningful work for the Lord of heaven and earth. (laughs) Like, that's 
That's meaningful. The privilege, the results. This is real now. This is incredibly real to them. He's definitely the Messiah. We watched it. Can I tell you something? Listen, this is them maturing. They're maturing right before our eyes. You're watching them get it now, right? You see this. They're getting it now. They're rejoicing. Like, this is true. This is real. He's doing it. Can you imagine what we experienced? We're starting to understand Jesus is going to use them if they depend on him. If they would trust him, he's going to show he's trustworthy. God will do the work. People will respond. Power over evil forces will happen. Power is behind us. They're coming back. They're full of joy. And it's only experienced after one has learned to trust God. Take the step of faith. Believe him. Trust him. That's when joy comes. Not before. Trust him. That's a, that's a breakthrough in your joy. Obedience and following will result in joy incomparable. Do it. Do it. It's worthy. He's worthy. They're coming back. They have joy. They have joy after they have stepped out in faith. And Christ has shown that he can be trusted. Can, you, can I tell you this? After this, listen, they will have, they, they're going to have, they went out having fears and doubts. After this, they're going to they're gonna be different. Their confidence is going to be different. Their peace is going to be different. Their trust is going to be different. Their hope is going to be different. Their love for the Savior is going to be different. Their obedience in the future is going to be different. Their expectations of what Jesus can do is going to be different. Luke gives us the reason for their joy. Look at the text with me. They said this, ready? The 72 returned with joy saying this, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. This is why they are joyful. They went and experienced power over demonic activity and oppression. They didn't know. But when it came, they prayed, they trusted, they spoke the truth about the Messiah, and they prevailed. Right? This is what's happened. Here's the key here. It's not that they were doing anything great in themselves. It's a testimony to the work of Christ. Because what does it say here? Lord, even the demons are subject to us, what? In your, in your what? Name. We're not doing it. You're doing it, right? You, you're, you're doing what only you can do, and we're we've watched it. This is the disciples' joy. And then listen, I want you to see what comes next. We see Christ's own joy starting to move, in, move us into that place. Watch this, okay? Because if you don't know, I want you to know, God is the happiest being in all the cosmos, right? He is, that's, that's a, a theological concept, okay? He is happy, and he is wholly happy. He is supremely happy. He is surpassingly happy. Because his intimacy with himself, his experience of his own holiness, is perfect, flawless. Therefore, God is the happiest being in all the universe. Right? We don't always see a glimpse of it when Jesus is on earth. Why? Because it's an intense task. Right? He's got to save. He's got to defeat Satan. He's got to defeat sin, right? But the Bible speaks of it everywhere. We just don't see the evidence of it because Jesus has got a sorrowful task. Actually, Isaiah tells us he's a sorrowful man when he's here on earth to, to do this work. But look at this, 1 Chronicles 16, 27. It speaks of God's joy. Look, look at this. Splendor and majesty are before him and strength and what? Are in his place. 
He is joyful. He is joyful. And Jesus here rejoices with them. Watch this. I love this. This brings a smile to my face. Jesus is rejoicing in such a human and humble way. Kind of like when your dad laughs and chuckles because of your joy. Or like when you laugh as a father at watching the joy of your children. Right? Like this is what's happening here. He's such a good leader to them. He's such a good leader to them. As they are rejoicing in their ministry, Jesus rejoices with them in their ministry. He responds by saying this, verse 18. And he said to them, so they're all rejoicing. They're all saying this, right? They're all saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in, our na- in your name. He's, got, he's full of joy. And he said to them, verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I, I love this. Listen, he responds saying, I saw Satan falling. He's saying this, I know, I, I know, I saw it. He's saying, now look, this to them probably made them stop for a second, okay? They're rejoicing, they're nudging each other, they're talking, they're chatting, and, he's, and they're all discussing the demons being cast out, and he says, I know, right? I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven, and they're probably like, mm, you just took it too far, right? <laughs> like, okay, this is a little bit strange now, Right? The demons, subject, joy, ministry. I know, I know, Jesus says, but I, and I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. He's saying this. He's, this is encouraging to the disciples. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you guys were really doing it out there. You guys really were doing it. He literally is saying here, I was watching. That's what he's saying here. This is the imperfect tense, right? I don't like how the ESV renders this. The NASB does a much better job here. I was watching imperfect tense continuously, which what that does is helps us to eliminate the fact that he's not talking about when Satan fell from, from heaven as an angel. He was, he's not talking about when Satan caused the fall in the, in the garden. He's not talking about when Satan uh, fell from, from trying to tempt Satan, uh, to try and from Satan fell trying to tempt Jesus in the desert. He's not talking about Satan's final fall. He's saying progressively, I was watching while you guys were out there. I was a spectator, literally, imperfect, continuously, not a one-time event. I was watching and I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. This is what he's saying. I watched. I was watching. When you you guys were out there, I was watching. And I saw Satan fall like lightning from, from heaven, one soul at a time. It was a cosmic war brought about by your evangelism. That's what he's saying here. There's a cosmic war, you know. Luke 15, 7 through 10 says, just so I tell you, there is more joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's something in the spiritual realm that's happening, you know. And he's saying, I was watching you. And it was like a lightning storm. Satan was trying to stop every soul from repenting and believing the gospel. He was giving one last furious effort to stop the salvation. 
And then when you shared and they believed, listen, they were freed, they were rescued, they were saved. Satan became powerless. You were watching the physical realm, the demons being cast out, the lives being changed, the provisions being provided for, the preparation being secured, the opposition of the wolves, and I was watching the spiritual realm. He's joining in in their rejoicing. That's what's happening right here, right? It would be like our worship guys, Pastor Taylor and Pastor Tanner saying, man, we're like sitting back maybe at the end of the service, right? And, and reflecting on our birthday. And they were saying, man, this is awesome. God really worked so much. We were worshiping and we were leading people and their hands were raised and this was great, right? And I say, man, I know. Listen, remember that guy who was so far from Christ? I saw him stand there, hands raised, Seems like he's believed, right? And I'm joining in in their rejoicing. This is what's happening. God is, Jesus is joining in. They're defeating of Satan, Satan's noticeable defeat. You see, that's really behind what we're rejoicing in today, church. Listen to, listen. TFC, who cares about any other trivial thing that a, a church can rejoice in on their birthday? Like, who cares? right? We're here one day, we're going to die tomorrow. There's only one thing that matters. And that's what the gospel is doing for eternity in the hearts of people for the glory of God and the defeat of Satan and his kingdom. Who cares about anything else? That's what we're rejoicing in. That's what we're really rejoicing in. That people are freed from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of light. Colossians 1.13. Colossians 1.13. Later on in verse 21, I want you to realize this. Look down at your text, verse 21. Just look at this. Jesus, when he starts rejoicing, he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, such was your gracious will. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about his disciples. And he's, he's rejoicing in their ministry. I thank you, God, that these guys have got it and that you use them to accomplish eternal things, namely the defeat of Satan and his kingdom right? They're discussing, they're elbowing each other, they're out of breath, and Jesus joins in at their joy. Now, for just a moment, I don't know what he was like in the way of his personality when he was on earth. I mean, I don't know, like, what did his voice sound like, Jesus, right? Like, what was, what, what was his mannerisms? What was some of his quirks? We know that they were holy and perfect quirks, but, right? But what was he like? But I kind of just imagine he's sitting there and he's got this just deep, mature laugh of joy watching these disciples. And it kind of reminds me of, and I'm, I don't know if any of you guys have seen it. Um, it's kind of a, a unique, obscure movie. Not a lot of people have, but anyone seen The Lion King? He's joking, right? Okay, joke. You guys have all seen it, right? You remember, you remember in the movie when, um, when Simba and Nala, they, they go too far, Right? They go, they go to where they were told not to go, which is the elephant graveyard, right? And while they're in the elephant graveyard, they, they encounter the hyenas. And the hyenas are bigger than they are and more, uh, more reckless, and they're scavengers, and they don't like submitting to authority. And now here before them is the, is, are the young cubs, right? And, uh, and I, you remember when Simba, he starts to he starts to try to roar, to growl at them. And it comes out like just a baby growl, right? And then all of a sudden, when he's doing that, you hear out of, out of nowhere, Simba's deep, I mean, uh, Mufasa's deep, 
right? Uh, powerful, roar, and everyone's afraid. And Mufasa single-handedly takes out all of them, and then they start to return. And Nala goes on up ahead, and he takes, Mufasa takes his son Simba with him, and they're, they're kind of walking through the grass, and they're talking. And remember this? Simba's talking a mile a minute, right? Hey, you remember this, Dad? You were like this. I couldn't believe you did this, man. They were so afraid at that, right? And what's Mufasa's response? He's listening, he's watching, and he's smiling ear to ear, and he's full of joy, and he just has that deep chuckle and laugh because of the joy that, that, that Simba has experienced in watching the power of his father. And, and Mufasa responds with his deep voice, and that says, because no one messes with your dad. Right? This is what's going on here. Jesus is rejoicing. Jesus is watching them. He's proud of them. He cares for them. Listen, do you know this? Briefly. Satan was created by God. His angels were made holy. They gathered in praise around his throne. Lucifer was the son of the morning star, probably the worship leader of heaven, anointed cherub. And in his pride, he fell and led a rebellion, and one-third of the angels fell from heaven. Revelation 12, 4. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. A symbol of what Satan had done, right? Cursed, they're destined to the lake of fire. Unredeemable. Since creation. Lucifer, enemy of all. Michael, the archangel, doesn't even deal with him. Only God does. The Bible says this of him. These are, these are his names. He's the ruler of the world, John 12, 31. He's the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2. He's the God of this world who blinds unbelievers from seeing the glory of Christ, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He's the murderer. He's a liar, John 8, 44. He's the deceiver, Revelation 12, 9. He accuses the believer, Revelation 12, 10. He's the evil one, 1 John 5, 19. And he's trying to stop God's work, 1 John 3, 8, right? And Satan and all his demons will be subject to torment forever. Revelation 20, 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beasts and the false prophets were and they were t will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And his demons do his bidding and work for him. 1 Timothy 4, 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to the deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. They are old. They are intelligent, they are deceptive, and they are supernaturally powerful. And Jesus defeats them on the cross, and he offers us freedom from being captives under his will, and escape from being his sons and daughters, and the protection of his salvation. Ephesians 6, 8 through 10, right? Escape from being the sons and daughters of the devil, John 8, 44, and his defeat of Jesus, of Satan on the cross, Ephesians 1, 20 through 21. Jesus is the defeater of Satan, and his disciples are too. The Jews believed in Satan and the kingdom. Therefore, the Messiah, the real Messiah, must prove that he has power over Satan. That's why in the temptation in the desert, Jesus defeats him. But Luke shows us through here the, the, the further defeat. Genesis 3.15, remember this? This is what must be fulfilled. He shall bruise your head, right? Uh, yeah, you, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Listen, the serpent will bruise the heel of the Messiah, but the Messiah will crush his head. And that's why in verse 19 here, Jesus gives the information. He says, furthermore, look at this, ready? Verse 19, we're almost done. Second one is very brief and simple. Verse 19, behold, 
I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. He says this. Remember, keep the tone here. He's rejoicing. We saw, we were casting out demons and they came out in your name. And he's saying, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. Jesus goes on in his joy and says, behold, I have given you authority over all the serpents and the scorpions to tread on them and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Here's what he's saying. Ready? He's saying, you have this authority and they are subject to you because I have given it to you. Listen, stay with me. He's saying, I have given this to you. Just like with the 12. The 70 were his first group of missionaries. Like the 12 disciples prior, they have authoritative power. Why? Because he gave it to them. And this, listen, ready? This has been given to you, perfect tense. This is meaning something that happened in the past that's continuing. You have dominance over them. Not literal scorpions and serpents, but metaphorically, demons and Satan. Remember Genesis chapter three? What was Satan called? What? What was it? Serpent, right? Satan's work to cause people not to trust and love and obey God. What about Revelation 9? It says the same. And can I tell you in Revelation 9, it says that there's serpents with tails of scorpions and there's a scorpion king that's over them, right? Satan and his demons, sneaky, evil, poisonous. It's a metaphor. Satan himself, right? So church, can I tell you something? Listen real close. This is a specific power, a specific time for a specific period in Christ's Messiahship and work. But can I tell you something? This is what is called of you, provided for you, what you can rejoice in as his ministers of the gospel. Now that he's completed his work, listen, this is what you're doing. You are freeing people from Satan's dominion. Evangelist everybody who calls himself a Christian. That's what you're doing. Rejoice over that. And guess what you should rejoice over? You have power, you have authority, and you have protection. Why? Because of you? No. Not because of you. But you got power, because watch this, Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the what? Power for of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You proclaim that gospel, you got power. You're in Christ, you got power. You don't need power for anything else. You need power to defeat Satan and his schemes through the salvation of souls. Can I tell you also, you should be familiar with this one. <clears throat> Acts 1.8. But you will receive what? Power. Holy Spirit inside of you when you trust Jesus, power. To do what? To be his witnesses, not to do other stuff. Who cares about other stuff? To be his witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and to the ends of the earth. True disciples. Today, church, through the ministry of the gospel, you got power. Right? You got authority. Why? Because in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, uh, it's up on the screen here. But before this, he says this. I forgot to put it. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. Right? All authority. That's what you have. And can I tell you, in Ephesians chapter 6, you also got protection. Minister, rejoice. This is what you're doing when you are evangelizing in obedience to Christ and rejoice in that. Power, authority, protection in Christ. Rejoice in what you get to be a part of. 
Secondly, number two, this is easy and rather simple, but it's very wonderful. Okay, so let me take us a minute. They are rejoicing not only in their ministry, but they are rejoicing in their salvation. They rejoice first over their ministry. They rejoice secondly over their salvation because it is confirmed and it is encouraged in their true discipleship. That's what's happening here, okay? Let me show you this because this is what you should rejoice over too, okay? Watch this, ready? They are rejoicing over their salvation. Last verse, verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He's saying this, I told you all this, you got authority, power, right? Satan's being defeated, I was watching. Don't rejoice in this though. Nevertheless, right, this is all great of what we've established, but rejoice in this. He's not saying don't rejoice in that at all. He's saying rejoice in this more so, right? Do not rejoice in as much as you would rejoice in this. What should they be rejoicing in? He says, because, listen, this is not disconnected from their obedience. He's saying, you've returned with joy and seen the success of your ministry. Now listen, because you've taken the call, because you've embraced the cost, because you've, you've trusted me and believed in me and who I am, and you've returned trusting in me, believing me, believing in me. Listen, you ready? Rejoice in this. And imagine Jesus coming and telling you this to your face. What could be greater than this? Ready? Look at you. Uh, imagine Jesus coming, looking in your eyes and saying this. Your name, out of the evidence of your fruit and obedience, you've trusted me. Your name is written in heaven. He, he is confirming and affirming their salvation. You doubt your salvation? You doubt me? Never doubt it again. Can you imagine Jesus telling you that? That's what he's saying here. Out of, the, out of the evidence that you've embraced the cost, rejoice in this. You're my disciples. You're saved. Your name is written in heaven. You're going to be with me for all of eternity. That's what he's confirming with them today. Can you imagine this? Listen, at this point, nothing else matters. Jesus just told me that I'm truly saved. What else could matter? What else could matter? Like, now they've got it. Like, Jesus just confirmed my salvation. Like, I'm out of here. Get, listen, give me the rest of the mission for the rest of my life. I don't care what's happened to me. We're all good now. Right? That's what's happening. You know that there was historically, when you were part of a community, a town, a village, it would write your name in that book, that you belong to that town or village. He's saying, you belong in heaven. They've believed and they've followed church. This is what we should be rejoicing in. Remember this, church. Remember the ministry that God is doing here. And rejoice in the ministry if you're obedient and follow his call that he would be doing through you. And that's the defeat of Satan and his kingdom through his power, his authority, and his protection. And rejoice, church. If you are truly in Christ, your name is written in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. Nothing could be greater than your words. Thank you for telling us things that we do not know. We could have never come up with this on our own. Thank you for being surpassingly worth it. I pray everyone in here would embrace the cost of following you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. 
We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.